Hello and welcome to another episode of the Matthew Talks About Sport podcast. I'm Matthew and I am joined today by my father, Dave. Welcome. Hello. Thanks very much for having me again. It's lovely to be here. And we are going to be talking about all things uh, cricket and soccer going on there right now. Those are the two main sports uh, in business. Uh, So it might be a bit of a longer one, but we'll start with uh, some news that happened Early last week, early Monday morning, uh, the T20 World Cup wrapped up and Australia are champions. How good is it? Yeah, it's exciting. Australia champions in the T20 format for the first ever time and really made a good run through the tournament. You know, their form before the tournament was pretty average. No one really expected them, I don't think, to to plough through the tournament and go deep into the finals, let alone win it. But you could see as the tournament went on that they improved and improved and they they played really well in the, the semi-final and the final and, and well-deserved winners in that particular tournament, I think. Yeah, it was certainly exciting to watch uh, the run that uh, we had. Um, certainly after we lost to England, there was some contention as to whether we'd even get out of the group, but a really strong win against Bangladesh helped our net run rate to pip South Africa and then two really good solid wins against Pakistan in the semi New Zealand in the final. And uh, I think it was uh, just a really all round uh, good team. We had a very stable 11. Um, Who do you reckon was our best player throughout that tournament? I think David Warner got better and better through the tournament and his batting in the final was exemplary, Uh, but our bowlers, uh, our, our regular bowling lineup. Adam Zampa had a fantastic tournament. Uh, Josh Hazelwood bowled really well, took a lot of wickets. So I, I'd say the three of them. Mitch Marsh also had a, a very good tournament. So they're, they're the key standout players for me, I think. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you on those three and maybe also chuck in Matty Wade into the ring. He did well with the bat in a couple of games. Um, but I think everyone stepped up. Uh, you know, at some point, Steve Smith may have had a quieter tournament, but he really helped us in the first game. We lose that. We don't get out of the groups. Um, I think Aaron Finch um, didn't let us get blown away against England. And as a result, our net run rate was helped. Um, and, you know, even the players who may not have had the best tournament like them to certainly uh, were still good throughout. Uh, which was great to see uh, for the Aussies. Uh, But moving on to the next uh, cricket tournament that's on right now, and it is the WBBL. The regular season season is over and the finals start tonight. But unfortunately for the two Sydney teams, it was a shocking season coming seventh and eighth. Um, Of course, with Rachel Haynes not playing for the Thunder and the Sixers stars are not shining. Um, but the, the finals are on, and the first game is between the Heat and the Strikers tonight. The winner of that will play the Renegades tomorrow, and the winner of that will play the Scorchers on Saturday. Uh, what, what have you thought of this tournament so far, Dad? Well, firstly, as a Sydney Thunder supporter and a, a very big sympathiser of the Sixers, very disappointing tournament from a, from a Sydney point of view. I think the Thunder really suffered from Rachel Haynes not playing. Uh, that's not a slight on her. She had good reason not to play. 
and I, I think they just really missed her. Their batting really lacked composure and capacity to go big scores for quite some time. They did, they did improve through the tournament, which was good, and that got them off the bottom of the ladder. I was very surprised by the Sixers because I think they had a number of stars in their team who uh, just didn't really fire to any great extent, and so they, they really petered out of the tournament the longer it went on, which I thought was very surprising. The other end, though, the, the Scorchers and Renegades, the Heat and the Strikers, you know, well-deserved places in the finals. Uh, I think the Scorchers are probably favourite to win it. And uh, and we'll see if one of the other teams can can get some momentum through the final series and, and cause an upset. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to watch uh, that final series. Uh, especially considering uh, the Thunder and Sixers have both won two times each. The only other team that's won is the Heat, who came in third. Um, so odds are there's going to be a new champion. Um, you know, Heat have to win three games, two of them away, and uh, all in the span of four days, which is definitely going to be tough for them. But uh, some of the standout players were acknowledged in the team of the tournament, so I'll just go through that now. Uh, the openers were Beth Mooney and Sophie Devine, both of the Scorchers. Uh, Devine was also captain and one of the overseas players. They both had uh, incredible seasons. Devine uh, not only scored over 400 runs, but she took nine wickets. And Mooney got comfortably over 500 runs. Uh, then Redmayne was selected at three as the keeper uh, with 13 catches uh, throughout the, the tournament. Harman Preet Kerr was uh, the, the fourth player, and she was another one of the overseas players. I think you can have two in a team. Um, Grace Harris was selected at five. Talia McGrath, another all-rounder at six. Uh, Jess Jonathan at seven. Uh, they're both, uh, sorry, uh, Harris and Jonathan are at the strikers. McGrath's at the strikers. Uh, sorry, Harris and Jonathan are at the heat, and uh, McGrath's at the strikers. And then the bowlers, you had uh, uh, Amanda Jade Wellington uh, from the Strikers, uh, Hannah Darlington uh, at the Thunder, the only Sydney player in. She had a really good series, getting 16 wickets, and Vlaminic and Brown were the last two bowlers. So lots of uh, Strikers and Heat players in there, um, and it was good to see some of them, uh, well, all of those players uh, get commended. Um, but we're going to move on now to the last uh, cricket thing we have to talk about, and that is, of course, the upcoming Ashes. Uh, they're, they're very, very close now, not too long away. It's only uh, two weeks to the day on the 8th of December when it starts. Again, that's a Wednesday. Um, and that first test will, of course, be in Brisbane. But there's some uh, disappointing news overshadowing it all with uh, Tim Payne, uh, resigning as test captain due to a controversy. Um, there's a bit of debate as to who should replace him for test captain, uh, but who do you think should get the nod? I'm really not sure. I know uh, I know a lot of people are keen for Pat Cummins to be captain. I'm still unsure whether a fast bowler is the, in, in the best position to be captain of a, of a test match side. Uh, it has happened in the past, I guess. But I'm not sure with what sort of level of success. So I'm thinking, you know, Bob Willis, Andy Flintoff for England. Uh, but so I'm just concerned 
And I think I'm concerned about Pat Cummins' workload if he is captain. But I think the only viable alternative is Steve Smith. And we know the baggage that he comes with with what happened in South Africa a few years ago. Uh, he's easily uh, um, deserving of a place in the team and, and he's one of our best batsmen. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't want to hang a guy out to dry for, for, a, for something that happened a few years ago now. Um, so I think it's got to be, well, it's likely to be between those two and... I don't think with either of them I'm going to go, yay, that's a brilliant choice because I, res- I have reservations about both of them. Yeah, I'll back them in, whoever gets it. I'll obviously support them and back them in, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not overly excited by either of them being captain. Yeah, I think those two are definitely the main front runners, like you said. Um, and, of course, there's the main issues um, that you raised. I think it's also a bit more complicated with Steve Smith as um, – I certainly think he's learned from his mistakes, but that doesn't change the fact the mistakes happened. And in a cutthroat game like international cricket, can you really afford these sorts of situations? Or do you just, you know, is it just better to give a first chance to someone than a second chance to someone whose first chance ended horribly? Um, The other name I hear called up is Manus Labashain, because he's one of our best batsmen and that's who it usually goes to. Um, I think the issue with that is, well, we tried it with Steve Smith. He was a young, up-and-coming, really talented batsman who just had a love for cricket as a whole. We tried him as captain and it didn't end too well, so I'm worried that would happen with him. Uh, We also have Head in the team, who's captain South Australia for quite a few years now, uh, and the strikers, so he's also a good shout. Uh, But I think, like you said, the two main uh, frontrunners, have to be Cummins and Smith, um, but yeah, uh, I think with um with Labashane, I'm I'm not sure I see enough good leadership in him. I think I just want him to be in the side and settled. As your job yeah. is to go and make as many runs as you possibly can over the summer. Travis Head strikes me as someone who's got good leadership credentials, but is not concreted into the team. Yeah. If he has a bad couple yeah. of test matches early, then he could easily be replaced. So yeah. you don't want to be stuck with a captain who's sort of teetering on the edge of selection. Yeah. So I think by default it's going to be Smith or Cummins, and I suspect that because of what happened with Smith before, they'll go for Cummins this time. Yeah, and uh, one thing that clued in a lot of people actually was there's a new cricket video game coming out and that had Tim Payne on the cover. He was then taken off and replaced with Pat Cummins and that game's definitely been working with Cricket Australia. So a lot of people think that's kind of a nod to say, yeah, we're going to go with Cummins probably um, because that just needed to be fixed, obviously. Um, And so it seems as if Cummins is the front runner. But uh, it's definitely, you know, wait and see on this one. Uh, But on the topic of selection, I have set us the challenge to select our 11s uh, for the first test in Brisbane. So we do have to factor in form and injuries. Um, It's important to note we are not selectors and we are not saying we could be selectors. This is just us being, you know, backseat drivers and... uh, having a go at who we think will be in the team, but why don't you take us through who you have in your team, Dad? Well, I think David Warner is a, an easy choice as one opener. The other opening position, 
I think is contentious. I think at the moment I'd opt for Marcus Harris because it looks like Will Pukowski is not going to play at least for the first few tests, if not for the whole summer. So I think under that circumstance, I'd go for Marcus Harris. I'd bat Labashane at three, Smith at four. I think they're pretty settled. I'd, I'd keep with uh, Travis Head at five and Cameron Green at six, which is the the, the middle order that we had last year. Uh, at the moment, I'd have Tim Payne batting seven, but, you know, one of the big questions of for him, and particularly at his age and, and form, is does he keep his place in the team if he's not captain? Uh, if he was to be replaced, I think I would prefer Alex Carey. I know there is some push for Josh Inglis, uh, but my option would be Carey. And for the bowlers, I would definitely pick Hazelwood, Cummins and Lyon. And I think for Brisbane, I'd go with Jai Richardson rather than Mitchell Stark. Because I think he's got good um, seam and swing uh, that I think would suit the Gabba humidity really well. Yeah, yes. Our teams are both very similar. Um, there's only uh, only two or three changes. Um, so to go through mine, I have Warner opening. Um, he wasn't in the best test form last summer, but it was only two years ago he got a triple century. Um, and he's in brilliant form coming off the World Cup, and we just need to hope that that translates into longer form. Form, And um, so keep him in the team. Um, for my other opener, I want to say Usman Kawaja. Um, even though he prefers to bat at three in the first-class games, he can open, and he's in really good form for Queensland right now. Um, and on top of that, um, he... It's not like he's that bad at a test level. It's just that Marnus Labuschagne came into the team and he's insane. Um, it, you know, of course you're not going to make it in if your competition's Labuschagne and Smith. Um, but when your competition's Bukowski, Burns, Renshaw, Harris, Bancroft, not to take anything away from those players, uh, but uh, they're no Labuschagne and Smith. And so I think I fit Kawaja in uh, as the opener and then, you know, Labuschagne and Smith three and four. Um, I'm going to agree with you and go for Head and Green 5 and 6. Uh, I think Green's also important as an all-rounder role. He can bowl, um, although he is still yet to take a test wicket despite having played four. Um, and, you know, someone like Mitch Marsh could fill that role if he gets into some form um, or maybe wade in for Head later on in the series. But at the moment, Head and Green. Um, for the wicketkeeper role, um, it's a bit of a who knows at this point. Um, I think Wade is the person in the best form. Carey's probably the best youngster. Uh, Payne has the experience of playing test cricket the last four or five years. And I think Inglis is doing the best in the first class um, uh, form of the game right now. So it really could be any of those four. But if I have to commit, I'm, I'm sticking with Tim Payne for the moment. Uh, and then the bowlers... Um, like you said, Hazelwood, Lyon and Cummins are walk-ups. Um, and I think Stark, he's he's very good, but he just hasn't been the best form the last year or two. And um, that's not to detract from him. He's still a very talented bowler. But I think, like you said, it might be uh, a time to give Dry Richardson another chance. Um, he played a couple of tests a couple of years ago. Um, and I think also, uh, depending on form, Sean Abbott's had a good past couple of seasons, less so this season. 
um, but I'd probably go with Richardson uh, for my last player. Um, but that will uh, bring an end to the cricket segment of this podcast, and we're going to move on to the soccer. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the Premier League and some big news from Manchester United. They lost uh, four of their last five in some shocking fashion, four goals against Watford, two against City at home, five against Liverpool at home, and a 4-2 loss to Leicester. Um, Only a win against Tottenham in between that actually sacked their coach would stop that bad run of form. And and then Man United sacked their coach, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is out. Uh, what do you think of this decision? Seems like they went early. Uh, they, they seem to... They're not in that bad a position. Like I mean, their form line over the last month, I, I grant, is not great. And I'm not sure how to extrapolate that, how bad the season would turn out. But they're still sort of there or thereabouts. And, and can win big games from time to time. So uh, I just thought maybe they pulled the trigger a bit early, although I know a couple of Manchester United supporters who were keen for him to leave, so I don't know. Um, one friend of mine who supports Man U told me on the weekend that he wants the coach from Ajax to come across and coach them. I don't know what the possibility or realistic expectation of that is. They're unbeaten um, in the Champions League Ajax, so good luck getting him away. But yeah, worth a shot. Uh, so you know, it's it's always hard when you need to make a change like that so early in the season. Uh, I'm not sure how they'll rebound from it. Will, will they get some bounce from it, or is it just papering over a crack that you know the team's not great? I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you said there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens for them moving forward um, and also what manager they'll get in to replace him. Um, and they're in eighth, but another uh, typically strong team that hasn't been uh, so far this year is Tottenham in seventh. Um, like I said, after they'd lost to Man U, they sacked their coach. Since then, they've had a draw and and a win. Uh, do you think they will uh, rise back up with Antonio Conte, who's uh, yeah, he took Chelsea to the league. He took Juventus to four or five leagues in a row. Uh, do you think that Tottenham will jump back up into the top six or do you think that they've fallen out the last couple of years and uh, have kind of lost that standing they had? Well, if they've got the, the team that's capable of it, then Conte will be a good coach that will enable them to do it. So uh, they could – I expect they'll still be competitive for top six. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And uh, to go through the the rest of the the top the uh, typical top six now, uh, it's been uh, standard for most of them. Um, although Liverpool, your team and my team, uh, have had some unfortunate points drops in recent games, a loss to West Ham and a draw to Brighton. Um, but they were surrounded by a four nil win to Arsenal and five nil to Man U and Watford. Um, do do you think that this form slump? Uh, or not form slump, but a couple of bad games is worrying? Uh, or do you think Liverpool uh, will uh, come back uh, later on in the season? Uh, at the moment, they're still well within contention uh, to take the title. Uh, it does bother me that they can ride 
sort of ups and downs in that sort of way. So, you know, they got so much praise after their game against Man United and then they scored two goals really early in that game against Brighton, but then let them come back. Uh, West Ham, of course, are in good form and I think we're pretty poised to, to have a go. Uh, and so I think Liverpool do have a vulnerability uh, about them that they can get themselves up regularly and, and they can win big games. But it's the consistency of winning, getting the three points each week that, that gets you a title. And I'm slightly concerned that they're a little bit too up and down for the consistency at the moment for that. But certainly when they, when they are on song... There's no better team in the world to watch. The, the, the play that they have is just brilliant. Yeah, and uh, I know that we're both definitely biased being uh, massive Liverpool fans, but I mean, Mo Salah has got to be probably the best form player in the world right now as well. So, you know, when he really turns it on, I mean, unbeatable is a word that gets thrown around, but I think we are when he's really on form. Um, yeah. The issue is he he's not messy he can't be on form every game and when he wasn't yeah. we did lose we are beatable yeah and that's um, the, and that's the problem because when when he's on song uh liverpool look unbeatable but he's not going to be that standard every week and unfortunately liverpool's chances tend to rise and fall with him so they need to develop some consistency around him not yeah. having you know 11 out of 10 games every week yeah and uh, also looking at the goal difference, it's interesting because uh, certainly by far the most goals, four or five more than Chelsea. Um, so it's just that attacking dominance. But then, you know, complacency and leakiness in defence sets in. And, you know, we're 11th for goals against, which is still in third, but we're with the pack. Chelsea and Man City are four and six, and the next team is 12. So we're a lot closer to the pack than we are the top teams. Uh, but speaking of those teams, they've both jumped to first and second. Chelsea have a comfortable three-point buffer. Man City are just one point ahead of Liverpool. Um, and these two teams seem to be the most consistent uh, right now. Um, what, what do you think of their season so far and how will they go looking uh, into the future? Do you think one of these two will win the, you know, go on to win the title as they look strong right now? They both look very strong. Chelsea have improved markedly, I think, since last year and, and thoroughly deserve top place on the ladder. They're, they're playing very consistent, high-quality football. And, and even in this morning in the Champions League, they beat Juventus 4-0. Uh, that, that says a lot. And Manchester City, we always knew they were going to be there or thereabouts as a contender, so it's no surprise to see them up there. So I think at the moment... Those two plus Liverpool, the, the winner will come from those three teams. I can't see anyone else winning the title. And at the moment, uh, I'd probably have Liverpool third in the ranking and Chelsea and Man City on a par. I know Chelsea have got a three-point lead, but not even a third of the way through the season yet. So, uh, yeah. I expect, yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we're at. And then looking towards the last of the traditionally top teams, it's Arsenal. Um, I did put down that they were on the rise, but that was before their loss to Liverpool, um, which set their goal difference back from even to back to minus four. Um, do, do you think they'll uh, continue to rise and, you know, f fight for the Champions League? 
uh, spots or do you think that they've kind of reached a limit and, you know, they'll just have their peaks and troughs from here? Well, I think, you know, there's obvious improvement from last year because they were much more mid-table last year than, than fighting for European competition. But just looking at the ladder, they've still got, uh, well, Wolverhampton's immediately behind them. I don't really know. They're probably sort of level pegging a bit, but they've still got Tottenham Man U behind them. So they're going to have to fight hard to ward those two sides off European football. Um, and the team immediately above them, West Ham, who have had an outstanding beginning of the year, uh, they're the team that I just don't know, can they sustain it? If, if you know, are they the the surprise packet team for this year that are going to, you know, sneak into European football at the expense of one of the big clubs, perhaps? Uh, so I think Arsenal, you know, all signs at the moment seem to suggest that they'll be competitive for that. I don't know if they can make Champions League, but they'll be competitive for Europa League. Yeah, and um, I think this year has going to have some hot contenders for European places because on top of the big six we've mentioned, Wolves and West Ham are in there right now. Um, and teams like Everton and Leicester, while they may be 11th and 12th, and I mean, Everton's in shocking form, one point from their last five games, and Leicester's one from their last three, it's not much better. They've, they've both been competitive the last couple of years, and you can't really rule them out. Um, at this stage of the season. Uh, but we'll talk about West Ham now. Haven't they had a great start to the season? I know there's been some comparisons made to Leicester of 15-16. And, of course, Leicester went on to win the league. Um, it was, you know, very similar goals for, goals against, and goal difference. Very similar uh, amount of wins and kind of how they've progressed. And also kind of the teams they've beat, you know, Leicester had a shock win here and there, and then they were first and they're like, oh, we can win this. And, you know, West Ham's beaten Liverpool. They're not that far off the top teams. Um, hasn't it been a great start to the season for them? It has been. And and one of the things that's interesting reading their results is that they're beating the teams that they're competing with. So they've beaten Tottenham, they've beaten uh, Everton, they've beaten... Um, well, Liverpool, which was an outstanding win. But then, you know, last weekend they dropped the game to Wolverhampton. So <laughs> there's that little bit of inconsistency that comes with a team that bobs up from behind. Uh, but while they remain competitive against the teams around them, they get, that's going to hold them in good stead to, to maintain their position on the ladder. I've always got a soft spot for West Ham because when I, the one Premier League game I saw in 1996 was Chelsea versus West Ham at Stamford Bridge and West Ham won it 2-1. And uh, I just thought that was funny. And I've always had a soft spot for them since. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice to see uh, one of the smaller teams, especially since they've been a bit of turmoil since they moved to the Olympic Stadium, changed bosses a few times. But David Moyes, I think he cemented himself now as a manager who knows what he's doing, but it might take some years. You know, he had a great stint at Everton. That lasted almost 10 years, if not more. Uh, then some poor stints at Man U and Rao Sociedad, but I don't think he was really given a chance to try there. And um, This is now his second stint at West Ham, um, and I think it's just going really well. He's just a, a good manager, and um, it, it I mean, even though he's managed Everton and Man U, and I can't stand him for that, I, you know, I've got to say good on him. He's he's doing a great job with the, the team he has and also the the – uh, resources he has they're not exact you know they're not a big club they're not spending anywhere near as much 
under smart transfer policy, um, you know, buying really good championship players, which is the second division, being able to buy them for cheap and then turn them into good Premier League stars. Um, it's that cheap kind of resource effective uh, way they're managing the team and yet they're in fourth. Uh, but at the other end of the spectrum of a team who has tons of money, they can spend all the money they want and they're just doing dreadfully, granted they haven't had a chance to spend it yet, is our Newcastle United. Uh, you know, they only have a billion in the bank account and yet it's still not enough to get them a win or off the bottom of the table. Um, I mean, what, what do you think of this situation, Dad? Well, it just strikes me as a situation where it's only a matter of time until the, the, the people with the dollars make significant changes. It's hard to see that a lot of that team and the, the managing staff will be there long-term. Uh, it's just a matter of waiting till the, the dollars get spent on the right people and then they'll kick up off the bottom of the ladder quite quickly, I suspect. They yeah. might want to do some of that in the January window or something, I'm not sure, because I'm sure they won't want to get relegated. relegated. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do like the, the thought of a team with a billion uh, dollars not even playing in the top tier of their own country. And so they've just got to kind of meander around the championship for a year with a billion, you know, they could get Messi for all they want with the money or Ronaldo and they're just going to be playing against like Luton Town or whoever, and you know, trying to scrape one nils. Um, I think that would be uh, quite funny. Um but uh, the last thing we want to talk about when it comes to the Premier League is uh, I mean, probably your favourite player of all time. He's certainly one of mine, Steven Gerrard. He's back in the Premier League and he's at Aston Villa. He's their manager and he started off well with a 2-0 win. What do you think of this? Oh, it's lovely to see him back in Premier League circles. Uh, he had a brilliant managing season for Glasgow Rangers last year when they went through the Premier League uh, season undefeated. And so, you know, he's always, uh, well, not always, but in recent times it's been suggested that when Jurgen Klopp moves on from Liverpool, he's the darling that Liverpool are going to bring back to, to manage them. Kind of like, uh, so um, I'm glad to, see him, yeah. glad to see him back in the Premier League. You know, I hope he does well without Aston Villa beating Liverpool. And, you know, it'd be good for him to, to keep keep improving and learning as a manager and, and, and getting well um, acquitted for, for that job. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was lovely to see him on the on the sideline of the pitch the other day and, and barracking for his team. And, yeah, it's great. Okay. Yeah, I think um, – and he has said that uh, the Aston Villa job isn't a stepping stone to Liverpool. Um, I hope it is as a biased Liverpool fan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, good managerial transitions has always been in Liverpool's DNA, uh, whether it be Shankly and Paisley or even someone like Kenny Dalglish coming in the late 80s winning a title or two, uh, very similar to what Gerrard could do if he does come in after Klopp. Um, and, I, you know, I'd love to see a dynasty of, you know, one of, one of the best personalities in the game in Jurgen Klopp followed by a local legend in Steven Gerrard um, and, you know, combine that with players like Mo Salah and the form he's in, it's really exciting for Liverpool's future. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Rangers go now that he's not their manager because they've been good and I think they're sort of first or second again now, but Celtic are on the rise again and particularly with our beloved Aussie, Ange Angelo Postacoglu managing them and, 
having having good success there early in the season. It'd be interesting to see if Rangers can maintain the rage without Steven Gerrard or whether, you know, just how key he was to their success. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, moving on from the Premier League now, and we're now going to be discussing the uh, Champions League. Um, and we'll mainly just highlight uh, some of the better teams uh, so far. And in particular, three teams remain unbeaten, being Liverpool, Ajax and Bayern Munich. Uh, they've all had incredible starts uh, to their season. Um, do, you, do you reckon any one of these teams stands out above the rest, Dad? too hard to tell at the moment when they're all grouped up separately. You know, that, those three teams have put themselves in the best possible position. They can just chill their way through the rest of the group stage and then, the, you know, it all starts again when they, they redo the draw for the next round. Uh, you, you know, you want to you want to get through your group stage as comfortably as possible. They've all achieved that already, which is great. Uh, we're sort of halfway through match day five. And, um, you know, Man United qualified today. So they'll be pleased with that. Um, there's still a couple of groups. I think Chelsea and Juventus are safely through out of their group now as well. And, you know, it's until the big boys start playing each other in the real serious games, it's hard to tell. You know, I'd, as a Liverpool supporter, I'd, I'd be cautiously confident against anyone they came up with and came up against. Uh Ajax, I don't really know that well. Bayern, they're always there or thereabouts. I think a couple of the traditional powerhouses of Europe in Juventus and Barcelona are really struggling this year, but uh, Real Madrid are really in good form. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a very competitive league. It's hard to win for a good reason. And these teams have set themselves up to have a good crack at it when the serious stuff happens sort of after, well, just before or after Christmas. Yeah, well, I think you've summed that up quite well. Um, and I think uh, that, that'll that bring us to the end of today's episode. Just one last thing to note uh, before we go. It is, of course, the uh, AFL draft uh, the, tonight, uh, in fact. And um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens uh, with uh, with that, um, there's certainly a few storylines to follow. Um, North Melbourne have picked number one, so it's always exciting to see who they pick with that. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Dacos, uh, the son of a Collingwood legend, uh, could go to Collingwood, um, but if he's selected early enough, Collingwood might not want to chalk up uh, more draft picks in order to get him that early. Um, and so it'll be interesting to watch that. Um, there's also some uh, ex-players who have been in there. Uh, Shane Mumford um, has already retired twice, um, but could uh, could have another run at it. Um, I don't think he'll be selected this draft, but if GWS is struggling next season, he could be selected in the mid-season draft. And in order to be selected for that, he has to nominate for this year's draft because the rules around retiring in the AFL. Um, on top of that, uh, de, uh, delisted players, uh, Gleason, Dumont, uh, Randall, Mason, Davis, uh, as well as Nash and Oscar Brownless, uh, uh, players to, to look out for. Um, and yeah, it's going to be good to see the next generation of AFL players get selected. 
But uh, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Is there anything uh, you want to say to finish up, Dad? Now, the other person that I put in there for the draft tonight would be Sam Darcy, Luke Darcy's boy. So I think Western Bulldogs are going to have to pay a hefty price to get him father-son. I fully expect that Dacos will go to Collingwood as an early pick and they'll have to stump up big time. And they're, they're, the Bulldogs and Collingwood have both been setting themselves up with draft picks to have enough points to do that. And then there's uh, you know, a handful of kids that are touted as being great players of the future. So it's just a matter of how all that falls out. But, yeah, it's always of great interest to see where the delisted players end up and whether they can get another chance somewhere. Yeah. So uh, we're going to finish now. Uh, I'm Matthew. My dad has joined me. Thank you. And uh, this is the Matthew Talks About Sport podcast. Please keep listening and also follow us on Instagram at MTA Sport Podcast.